Well, guys, turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. It's actually a lot less quiet in here than I thought it was going to be. We have far less kids than I thought we were going to have, too. I'm like, how do I make this service like half the time? Now I can just go as long as I want. No, kidding. Guys, come on. Don't you know me better? Like, yeah, we know you. That's why we have her moaning over here. <clears throat> I don't know what that crackling is, but that's hopefully not going to cause too much of a distraction. This morning, we're uh, jumping back into our study through the book of Acts. We're going to be looking today at a long title, uh, The Start of Paul's Third Journey and the Strengthening That Followed. Start of Paul's Third Journey and the Strengthening That Followed. Our main text is Acts 18 verses 23 through 28. We're finishing chapter 18 today. But first, for some context, two weeks ago when we studied verses 11 through 22, we saw how the remainder of Paul's time in Corinth went. It, is not, it was not all smooth, which when we left off the week before, or two weeks before, it was like, it seemed very positive. Like, Paul had been discouraged, he was fearful, and the Lord shows up, he had some opposition, but Jesus comes to him in a vision and says, Paul, don't be afraid, don't be silent, but speak, and, and no one's going to attack you to hurt you. And, and then we find in verse 11, he's, and he remained there a year and six months, teaching the word of God. It's like, wow, it just everything in Corinth was going great. But then we find that there's this renewed opposition that came against Paul by the gospel rejecting Jews in the city of Corinth, how, but how Jesus made good on his word to Paul, that no one would attack him to hurt him. Doing that by using this Roman proconsul Gallio, who responded before Paul even had a chance to speak up for himself, dismissing the accusations of those trying to get Paul condemned and, and driving them away from his judgment seat. Not only did this provide the protection Paul needed to continue to teach the word of God, to continue to preach the gospel in Corinth for the remainder of his time there. It also established in the city of Corinth that Christianity and the, and the gospel message of Jesus was not illegal or unauthorized. That was really the intention of those gospel-rejecting Jews, was to present Paul and his message as something that was illegal and, and unauthorized, that it should not be able to spread any more, that, that, that it would be shut down. But because of Gallio's a response, it really, in some ways, legitimized Christianity and the gospel there in the city of Corinth. They would have given Paul and the believers there in Corinth and any who came afterwards to minister in that city, really the freedom to preach and teach Jesus openly and safely. But once Paul's time there came to an end, he, he departed from Corinth with Aquila and Priscilla, made it to the city of Ephesus in Asia Minor or southwestern uh, Turkey. He reasoned with the Jews in the synagogue there, but he didn't stay long because he was really just waiting long enough until the next ship was going to depart for Caesarea in Israel, and though the people in that Ephesian synagogue asked him to stay longer, his heart was set on making it to Jerusalem for a coming feast. So he departed, he left Aquila and Priscilla behind in Ephesus, 
traveled across the Mediterranean Sea, making it to Caesarea. He goes up to Jerusalem and greets the church there. He travels north to Syrian Antioch, where his home or his sending church was located, and no doubt gave a, a powerful update of all that the Lord had done on that second missionary journey, how the gospel had now gone into Macedonia and Achaia, uh, which we know as the continent of Europe. And so uh, just an amazing sort of end to Paul's second missionary journey. But with that whole context in mind, we now read verse 23. Acts eighteen twenty-three. it says, After he had spent some time there, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. We don't know how much time Paul spent there in Syrian Antioch before departing, a departure that now marked the start of his third missionary journey, which will take us all the way into chapter 21. But it's believed that his third journey began in about 53 AD, just to give you sort of a timetable of when this was all going down. And as his third missionary journey began, we, we find that he went over a region he'd been through a few times now, the region of Galatia and Phrygia. This was in central Turkey. And as he went over those regions, it says, in order, he strengthened all the disciples. I, wanna, I want us to grab a hold of something today that's extremely important and, and needs to be ingrained into the DNA of who we are as disciples of Jesus and as a church collectively, that regardless of our giftings and whatever ministry opportunities the Lord has given us, that each of us have been called to a ministry of strengthening, of building up others. Check out what we're told in Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. Paul says there, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. He says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good. Notice, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. You know what I think it is? I think it's the wind blowing here. If that side door out there can get closed, I think it'll be a little bit better. Thanks, Josh. See, guys, we're not to live in a way where we're just seeking to please ourselves. That's the default, isn't it? We, we default to what's good for me. How can I you know, make my life easier? How can I make it better? How can I make it more comfortable or enjoyable? And, and oftentimes, other people can be a hindrance to that. Well, like, that person's ruining my joy. That person's ruining my comfortability. And so, it, it can be easier to want to maybe look at others and feel like we're strong, and those that are weak, you know what, just let them, they can do, do them. Like they can do what they're going to do, but I don't want to be taken down by them. I don't want to be drugged down by, by that person. 
And yet that's not to be how we operate as the people of God. We're to live in a way we're actually seeking to please our neighbor, others, for their good, leading to edification, leading to them being built up, them being strengthened. And our example for that, Paul says, is Jesus. Part of us being Jesus' disciples who are commissioned to go and make disciples of others requires us to have a strong emphasis and intentionality in strengthening or building up other believers. Understand, strengthening can happen through encouragement. It can happen through instruction, through restoration, through serving someone practically and spiritually by being a Christ-like example that others can follow. And it can happen also through correction, among other ways that God can bring about strengthening in someone's life. But with correction, we see this method of strengthening happen many times in the Gospels through Jesus' ministry to his apostles, correcting wrong actions and words and motives and thinking, which, which brought about a strengthening in those he corrected. A perfect example of this is when James and John, you know, they had gone before Jesus as Jesus was now making his way to Jerusalem a final time, and, and some of the villages of the Samaritans wouldn't receive Jesus, and so they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, should we just call down fire from heaven to just destroy these people? And, and Jesus says, you don't know what kind of spirit you are of, like, I didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. But did you ever notice that after that, we never find James and John calling down fire from heaven on anyone else or even asking that their, their attitude towards people began to shift. It began to change. Why? Because Jesus had corrected them in a way that a strengthening and equipping, a correction took place in their lives. And Jesus often does that with us. There are areas of our hearts that oftentimes are off. Our attitude towards people can be off. And Jesus will speak corrective sorts of words into our lives because maybe we're misrepresenting him. We're, we're, our, our priorities are out of line. Our perspective just isn't matching up with the Lord's. But that correction actually brings about a greater strengthening spiritually in our lives. You know, there are many other examples we could look at in Scripture of how this corrective element happened so that strengthening could take place in someone's life. But one that rises to the top, in my mind, is Paul's writings to the church in Corinth, which were highly corrective in nature. But it was correction with a desire for edification, for, for growth, for, for building up, for strengthening. That those he was correcting would be strengthened, would be built up, would mature in Christ. And in both letters, he corrects with such grace and gentleness. Check out what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 13, verses 7 through 10. He said there, Now I pray to God that you do no evil. Not that we should appear approved, but that you should do what is honorable, though we may seem disqualified. He says, for we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. And this also we pray that you may be made complete. 
Therefore, I write these things, being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness. Notice, according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. I don't know about you, if you've read through First and Second Corinthians, there are so many moments where if I was Paul, I would have written totally different things. Like knowing the kind of abuse of spiritual gifts, I, I would have came to 1 Corinthians 14 and just said, please don't, don't, don't do it anymore. Just stop. Like you've, you have, your, your spiritual gifts card has been revoked. Like you don't know how to use them right. You're, you're, you're being a terrible witness. People are coming into the church and thinking you're out of your minds because everyone's just speaking in tongues. There's, it's, it's disorderly. It's chaotic. And if I, was, if, if I was Paul, just being honest, I'd be like, just cut it out. But instead, Paul says, earnestly desire the best gifts. He encourages them still in them. But he gives corrective instructions so that those things are done properly. They're done rightly. They're done peaceably in a way that honors the Lord. Paul says in this closing letter, his final letter to the church in Corinth, he says, look, I've, I've got apostolic authority here. But God's given me that authority for edification, to build up, to strengthen, he says, and not for destruction. I just love Paul's heart here. What an amazing example for you and me. Because it can be easy to get frustrated with something that's off, with behavior that's off, and it just maybe continues and nothing really changes. Or someone that's just got a weird attitude towards us, and you're doing your best just to love them and to serve them, and, and they don't seem to be reciprocating that at all. That was Paul with the Corinthians. Paul served and served and loved and gave himself he spent himself for the church in Corinth, but the more that he loved them, he said, the less he was loved by them. Those are powerful words to read from the Apostle Paul. But he understood something, that God's given me this authority to build up and not to tear down. How much more for us who are not apostles but are still disciples of Jesus should our ministry towards others be for the purpose of edification, for strengthening, and not for destroying? Again, among other ways God can bring about strengthening, that strengthening happens through encouragement, instruction, restoration, through service, through being an example, and through correction. And, and now we're going to see both the corrective and instructive elements of, uh, of strengthening happen through Aquila and Priscilla's lives, their ministry towards a man named Apollos, who God's going to use in a powerful way in the city of Corinth later on. But before he could be used powerfully by the Lord in Corinth, he first needed to be strengthened inwardly, spiritually, by Aquila and Priscilla in the city of Ephesus. So let's move on and read verses 24 and 25. It says, 
In verse 24, now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he, o- he knew only the baptism of John. We're introduced now to a certain Jew named Apollos. He was born at Alexandria. He was eloquent, meaning he was well-learned and well-spoken. He was mighty, that word mighty, speaking of being strong or capable or skilled in the scriptures. And he came to Ephesus. Alexandria, if you're not familiar with that city, is located in the North African country of Egypt. It was the second most important city in the Roman Empire at that time. It was founded by and named after Alexander the Great. It was a center for education and philosophy. It boasted a university with a library of almost 700,000 volumes and had a large cosmopolitan population, according to Warren Wearsby. Understand, we know nothing about Apollos before this. Don't know if he came here for business or came specifically to preach and teach in the synagogue at, at, at Ephesus. And if he came to do that, we know nothing about how his commissioning and missions venture came about. And yet, here he is. We learn a little bit more about him in verse 25. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, a reference to the Lord Jesus, and that being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John, we're told. It's not clear how much he knew of the Lord Jesus if he was instructed in the way of the Lord and taught accurately the things of the Lord, but only knew the baptism of John. But from what Luke writes about him here and how Aquila and Priscilla are going to take him aside to explain the way of God more accurately to him, and then afterwards will be a part of those giving Apollos a letter of commendation for the church in Corinth, it seems to me that Apollos was actually saved, had already placed his faith in Jesus, which was why he was teaching about Jesus, but that his knowledge was limited. It was lacking regarding certain aspects of Christian faith and doctrine. Regardless, with what Apollos did know of Jesus, he was fervent in spirit and he spoke accurately and, and taught accurately about Jesus, passionately wanting others to know Jesus too. And I, I think Apollos is a really great example for us. I mean, we may not feel very eloquent. You know, we may not feel like the most educated. We may not feel like we know enough about Jesus to be able to share with others about Jesus. And we could look at Apollos and go, but he had a few of those things marked off. He, had, he was well-educated. He was instructed in the way of the Lord. He, he was, you know, teaching accurately the things of the Lord. He was eloquent. But the point is, his knowledge was still limited. He taught accurately what he knew. You and I can do the same. You and I have been instructed in the ways of the Lord. 
You and I have things imparted into our lives through the word of God, through the preaching of his word, through our time spent with him. And what we know, we can share. What we know of Jesus, we can share. Sometimes we forget that the testimony that God has given each of us of what he's done in our lives, that that is a powerful tool in the hand of God. And, you know, I, I remember growing up, and I grew up in a Christian household and, and thinking for so long in my early years, like, man, I don't have a testimony. I haven't really been through anything. I haven't really done anything. I grew up in a Christian home. Like, what do I have to share with somebody else? And then I started doing dumb things, getting into trouble, and sending my life away for a season of time, and and looking back, I wish that I could have kept that original testimony. That I didn't have to go and do the, all those things to, to see that God had redeemed me and saved me. That even without maybe all the blatant outward sin, that I was still a sinner in need of the grace of Jesus Christ. And, and by his grace, he had saved me. And yet, you and I, no matter what we've been through or, or what we've experienced, if, if Jesus has saved us, you and I have something to share with somebody else. How much did you need to know about Jesus to come to Jesus? Did the person that led you to Jesus Christ, if that was the way that it happened, was the person a, a, a PhD scholar in biblical studies, knew everything about the Bible, could tell you every Christian doctrine, make it explainable to you? Probably not. That wouldn't even be true here. I didn't even finish Bible college for crying out loud. I'm a Bible college dropout. And yet, God's called me to this role to, to, to pastor, to teach, to equip. What we know, we can share. What Jesus has done in our lives, we can share with somebody else to say, look, if he's done this with me, he can do this with you. And we need more of that. We need more boldness. Don't worry about the eloquence. I think sometimes when there's eloquence, people start to think you're a phony. Gosh, you're so well-spoken, like, I can't connect with you. Unless you're in a really heady sort of environment. And that's fine, too. God gifts people like that, too. We have people like that in our fellowship, too. Very intelligent and can, you know, can speak to people in a PhD sort of level and, and relay those things. But that's not necessary in order to lead someone to Jesus Christ. All you need is to have received the salvation of Jesus. If you've received Jesus' salvation, gosh, guys, we have a testimony to share. And we need to be bold in sharing that. Sharing Jesus. Such a great example, Paul says. Verse 26, though, says, So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and said, Cut it out. No, they didn't say that. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. In his fervor, Apollos begins to speak boldly in the synagogue. He went to where other Jews were. Apollos was a Jewish man himself. He went to where other Jews were to tell them about their Messiah, Jesus. And it seems that Aquila and Priscilla were present there in the synagogue when they heard him teaching. 
But three things sort of stick out to me here in this verse. First, that God had a divine purpose in Paul leaving Aquila and Priscilla behind in Ephesus. You imagine you're, the time comes, you've been sitting under the teaching of the Apostle Paul for a year and a half. You struck up this friendship. The dude had been living with you. You'd been ministering together. And then Paul goes, I'm leaving. I'm going 100 miles away. I'm going to go. I, I, I want to go back actually to Jerusalem to finish off this vow that I had made. And, and Aquila and Priscilla go, Paul, we're going with you. Or maybe Paul said, hey, come with me. And they're like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. Ministry team. And then they get to Ephesus and it's like, what, a few days maybe, a week? Paul's like, see you guys. Stay here. What, what, are we, what are we doing? What do we do now? Paul, when are you coming back? You said, Lord willing. That doesn't sound very promising. I'll be back, Lord willing. What do you mean, Lord willing? You're leaving us here, dude. Like, give us a timetable. When are you coming? When can we expect you? They don't get any of that. We see that their hearts weren't, you know, it, it, it became this unhealthy focus on Paul. The focus remained on Jesus. Yeah, Lord, you brought us with Paul. We're now in this other place. We're ministering over here, but it, it wasn't home for them. Remember, Aquila was from Pontus originally. He wasn't from Ephesus. They had lived in Rome for a time and been kicked out because of persecution. Rome wasn't even home for them. And yet wherever God had them, I think in their minds they just decided, Lord, we want to flourish where you planted us. Lord, we want to be used by you wherever you've put us. And God, that's not dependent upon another person. That's not dependent upon this awesome spiritual leader that you've given us. Lord, we want to minister by the leading of your spirit. Be faithful to you. God had a divine purpose in them staying behind in Ephesus, a purpose that went far beyond them, no doubt, setting up their tent-making business and living their lives in a new area. You thought I was going to use that joke again, didn't you? I'm not doing it. I've killed the joke, okay? But clearly, the focus of their lives was on Jesus and how he might want to use them in the lives of others. Wow. Second, second thing that sticks out to me here was that Aquila and Priscilla had a burden for those who wanted Paul to stay and preach. You imagine for the people there, Paul comes, he starts preaching, and they get, they're so excited. Nowhere else do we, are we seeing people in synagogues saying, Paul, stay! Share with us more! They're like, we want to kill this guy. How do we get rid of him? And Paul's like, sorry guys, I gotta, I gotta bail. What do you mean? Stick around. Then Paul leaves. It's like, now what? Well, here's Aquila and Priscilla. They're filling in the gap. They're seeing an area to, to, to place themselves in, to, 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 to see these people the way that Paul do it, did the way that Jesus would. As sheep without a shepherd, as people needing to be ministered to. 
They went to where the people were at. They no doubt looked for opportunities to be a blessing and a witness. But the third thing that sticks out to me here is that Aquila and Priscilla desired to strengthen others. This is seen in how they lovingly and graciously took Apollos aside. They didn't do it in the midst of the synagogue. They didn't do it in front of other people. They didn't put Apollos on blast in front of everybody like, nope, in the middle of his preaching. There's more. Uh-uh. Can you imagine how deflated Apollos would have felt, but then it would have ruined his witness afterwards after he had been instructed in the ways of the Lord more accurately. They waited. They let him teach they take him aside maybe they brought him into their home and they lovingly graciously explained to him more accurately the way of god i like what john stott said about this verse he wrote it's it's not possible to be sure which christian truths apollos knew when he taught accurately and which were explained to him more accurately on the one hand luke could hardly have described him as instructed in the way of the lord if at that stage he was still completely ignorant of the death and resurrection of jesus on the other hand if his knowledge was largely limited to john's baptism and teaching his grasp grasp of these events may have been minimal and he will have also needed to hear about jesus's commission exaltation and gift of the spirit such truths as these Priscilla and Aquila taught him. He goes on to say their ministry was timely and discreet. Guys, this verse speaks volumes about the kind of people that Aquila and Priscilla were, but it also speaks volumes about the humility of Apollos to receive from these tent makers who probably weren't as educated or eloquent as he was, which shows how teachable of a spirit Apollos had. You know, we can know everything. We can have all this knowledge. But if we're filled with pride, if, no, if we can't receive from anybody, if we can't let anybody speak into our lives or maybe correct us, guys, we will render ourselves just kind of disqualified for the Lord's service. Not because we don't have enough knowledge. We could have it all. But our pride puts us at enmity with God. It puts us in opposition to God. God is not going to use you and me when our heart is set in a place where we're on opposing places of the battlefield from him because of our pride. Because in our pride, oftentimes when we can't receive from other people, you and I aren't receiving from the Lord either. We don't have a teachable spirit by the Lord either. And to have that kind of heart that's humble and teachable and willing to, to hear and to receive even hard things. Man, what an amazing example this is for us. And, and the strengthening ministry of Aquila and Priscilla and how they instructed and how they corrected Apollos in the ways of the Lord. It, it had a huge impact, I believe, on what we see about him in the next couple of verses. So let's read the last couple of verses of our text here, verses 27, 28. It says in verse 27, when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, 
exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who would believe through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. We don't know how much time Paul spent there in Ephesus after Aquila and Priscilla had taken him aside and had taught him more accurately the ways of God. But at some point in the weeks or maybe several months he was there, a desire began to grow inside of him to go over and minister in Achaia, where Corinth was located. And we're told that the brethren, which means that at this point there were other believers there now in Ephesus beyond just Aquila and Priscilla wrote a letter for Apollos to bring with him that exhorted the disciples in Achaia to receive him. And after getting that letter of commendation, he went over to Achaia, most likely going straight to Corinth. And when he arrived, we're told two things about his ministry when he got there. First, that he greatly helped those who would believe through grace. So part of his ministry was to the believers in Corinth, helping them to grow in their relationship with Jesus, growing in his knowledge and grace. And, and, and we see here that he was a great help to the believers there. He was a blessing to have around. But second, we see that he vigorously or powerfully or intensely refuted the Jews publicly. And that word refute means to patently overthrow another's argumentation. Showing or proving from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So the other part of his ministry was to engage non-believing Jews with the gospel, being a bold witness publicly so that they would see that Jesus was indeed the Christ of scripture so that they would put their faith their trust in jesus for salvation by grace clearly from what we see here and also from what paul writes in first corinthians apollos had a powerful ministry in the city of corinth and beyond that he watered he refreshed he strengthened the souls of the disciples in Corinth, Paul writes, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Which is interesting because right now in Ephesus, it seems that maybe Apollos is doing some of the planting. And as we'll see in our study next week, it's, it's, it's Paul that's going to come and begin to water what's been planted in the city of Ephesus. So there's sort of a reverse. There's there's times where God will call us to a ministry of, of planting. It's just, we're just planting seed. I think a lot of what we see is, is that sort of ministry. And it can discourage us, can't it? We want to have the watering and seeing the increase ministry. We want to see the fulfillment of the things that have been poured into somebody's life. We want to see that upward and outward growth. We want to see those visible you know, that visible faith, those visible works that have come by the faith of a person. We want to we be on that part where we're just, we're just watering. It's just like the cherry on top. Like we're just watering, but oftentimes what we're doing is planting. Not glamorous. It's dirty. 
to get our hands in the soil. We're dealing with seed that doesn't look very significant in that stage of its life. And yet how crucial that planting ministry is. Because without the planting, there would be nothing to water. Without the planting, nothing would grow. It's through the seed of the word of God that new life comes about in a person's life. Born again by the seed of the word. And you and I, we, we can recognize at times what kind of ministry God, God has called us to in individual people's lives. And, and if we can recognize, okay, God, you know what? You've called me to plant. We can, we can more easily fend off the discouragement and the frustration that might come if what we think we're doing is actually watering and getting to see the increase. We pray for that. Lord, we want to be a part of that water. We want to see you grow something in somebody's life, you to bring up that outward visible things. But, but Lord, whatever you've called me to do, help me to, to recognize, just as Paul did, that neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the increase. It's not about us. It's about what God's able to do in someone's life. Apollos had that watering sort of ministry, that refreshing, that strengthening sort of ministry in Corinth. He was respected and loved by many in the church in Corinth, even though it became unhealthy when they divided over their favorite leaders who Apollos was one of, though that wasn't Apollos' fault. And along with what Paul writes in Titus chapter 3, we also see that Apollos was trusted by Paul to be sent places to minister and even potentially being one of the guys who brought Paul's letter to Titus. But what also becomes clear in all of this is that God wants to continually strengthen, to continually build up and mature and grow every single one of us in Jesus. And that he then wants to use us to be a source of strengthening, of, of building up, of maturing, of growth in the lives of others. Both a strengthening that would cause unbelievers to be filled with faith towards Jesus and a strengthening that would cause other believers to flourish and be fruitful in Jesus and for Jesus. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. Uh, in closing, I want to ask us this morning a, a few questions. How is God wanting to strengthen you today? In Christ Jesus. Because the, the question is not if. No, or, or, you know, does he? Does he want to do that? No, he wants to. But how? How is God wanting to strengthen you today? In Christ Jesus. Where are those areas of weakness maybe that the Lord wants to strengthen and reinforce in each of our lives? Because there are those areas that you and I have where, you know what, there could be greater strength here. I think of Nehemiah and the sort of the spiritual pictures that we get of how the wall was broken down. They couldn't fend off the enemy. They became more vulnerable. 
and how Nehemiah at one point as the wall was being constructed to about half its, its height that as the enemy started to threaten to come that he positioned families, individuals at these open places in the wall, these broken down sections of the wall to build and to defend. And there's so much for you and I to learn from that because you and I, when we allow those broken down spots in our spiritual lives, the spiritual wall of our lives, the enemy begins to have an inroad that he shouldn't have. And as the people of God, we need to get to those open places in the wall to build and to defend, not just for, our, for ourselves, but for others. That we'd be those who position ourselves in the lives of other people, not unwantedly, like, hey, I'm now going to minister to you. You take this. I'm strengthening you now. Well, dude, like, I don't even know you. Like, I just met you for the first time. But as we've built relationship with people, as we fellowship with one another, as we see maybe, as the Lord gives us discernment into some areas of weakness, or, or maybe someone shares something with, with us, that we don't just go, oh, I'll, I'll pray for you, and then we just leave it at that. We never check back in. We're, we don't, we're not even really prayerful for them after that. It's more of a, a nice thing to say in the moment, I'll pray for you. But to actively be intentional in responding to that thing that needs to be built up, that things that needs to be fortified in someone else's life. That's part of discipleship. That's part of being the body of Christ. What did Paul say? We who are strong bear with the scruples of the weak. Don't just don't despise the weakness of others. God oh, man, you're just you're just weak. No, when we see weakness, we want to strengthen. If God strengthened us, it's so that we can strengthen someone else. But what's that thing that God's wanting to do in you and me? What areas need to be fortified in our spiritual lives? Take those things to the Lord, and I would encourage you to be prayerful even about who you might share those areas of weakness with so that God can use someone else to be a part of the strengthening that he wants to do in your life. Prayerful. Because you shouldn't just share with anybody. Because some people don't know how to handle that sort of thing. But find people who are strong and spiritually mature and trustworthy that you can share with. And bring those things to the Lord. Let him minister to your hearts and bring that strengthening. But I also want to ask us, how is he wanting us to minister to others in such a way where the lives of others are actually strengthened because of the work of the Holy Spirit through us. See, whatever measure of spiritual influence he's given you and me, just like what Paul said, it's not for destruction, but for edification. To build up, to point others to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you for the way that you used Paul and Aquila and Priscilla and Apollos and Lord, so many others, people that we 
we'll never even know about this side of eternity. Lord, who don't have notoriety, didn't have any fame, maybe didn't even have a position of leadership in the church, and yet, God, you use them in powerful ways to point others to Jesus Christ, to strengthen others in Jesus Christ. God, would we grab a hold of this important ministry of strengthening? Lord, that we wouldn't feel like we can excuse ourselves from it because we just don't feel super gifted as a strengthener. But Lord, that you've called us to be those who strengthen, build up others. God, would we... Lord, see that you first want to strengthen us, Lord, that maybe there's areas of weakness in our lives that, God, you want to bring growth. You want to bring change. Lord, you want to bring stability. Lord, there's maybe broken down areas of our spiritual lives that the enemy has found an inroad. Maybe the enemy has gotten a a foothold into our lives in some way that he doesn't that he shouldn't have, Lord. And God, I pray that, Lord, those areas that are broken down, Lord, you would build up once again. Lord, that you would fortify, Lord, the spiritual wall of our lives, Lord. God, that we would, Lord, find our strength in you. Lord, that those areas where we're struggling, that, God, you would bring comfort and encouragement and grace Lord, make us strong in Jesus. Make us strong for the gospel of Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus. Lord, you see those areas. Lord, help us to see them. Help us not to be blind to those areas of weakness in our lives. Lord, those areas maybe where we're experiencing failure even in sin. And God, bring victory. Lord, if there's an element of us needing to reach out to somebody else to say, hey, I'm, I'm, I've got some, some weakness in my life. I, I need to be strengthened that we would have the, the humility and the vulnerability to open up and share that with somebody else who's trustworthy and spiritually mature. Lord, that they would be able to be used by you in our lives. But God, at the same time, recognizing that you want to do that with us in someone else's life. God, that you want us to be an instrument of strengthening in your hand. God, to build up others. God, it's so easy to destroy. It's so easy to tear down and to cut down and to put down others. But Lord, you have not called us to that. You have not given us the authority for that. Lord, any influence, any authority that you've given us, Lord, is so that others would be be built up, Lord, strengthened. And so, God, would you give us that sort of perspective, Lord, moving forward. Lord, God, that our lives would be shaped by the things that you called us to in your word as your disciples. God, we want to be used by you powerfully in this world, Lord, to point unbelievers to you, to share the gospel of Jesus with the lost, 
Lord, would you give us a boldness in that to share what we know, to share what you've done? And Lord, would we seek, Lord, to build up your church, Lord, build up your people to be a blessing. God, in these days, Lord, our world needs it. Our world needs us to be different, Lord. And so, God, would you lead us, Lord? Would you change us? Would you transform us? Would you send us out from this place today in the power of your spirit with this commissioning? Lord, grabbing a hold of these things confidently, relying upon your grace to fulfill, Lord, what you put before us. And God, would you get all the glory? And Lord, I pray if anyone has joined us today that doesn't have a personal saving relationship with you, maybe that's somebody here in this room or maybe somebody joining online, I just encourage you, if that's you in your own heart, just to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Jesus, I need you to save me. Because the truth is you can't save yourself. Would you in your own heart just say, Jesus, I, I believe in you. I believe that you died on the cross, that you rose from the grave. Jesus, I put my trust in you. I surrender my life to you. Lord Jesus, would you give me the power to follow you and to live for you? Jesus, would you save me? Would you redeem me? Would you seal me with your spirit this morning? I just encourage you, if you've done that, the Bible says you will be saved. But Lord, as your people this morning, God, we want to respond to your word, not allowing the flappy stuff on the roof to be louder than us, but Lord, singing boldly, your praises, Lord, declaring boldly your greatness, God, worshiping you, Lord, with all of our heart, loving you with every bit of who we are. And Jesus, we just give this time to you now. Lord, continue to pour out your spirit and receive your praise today. In Jesus' name, amen.